if you have a heart attack. You don't want a generalist looking after you. You want a specialist in, in, in heart. It's the same with clients, organisations. They want specialists. Within eight months, two or three other clients came on. And then he got to that point of, I need to build that team up. I caught up with him just before Christmas. He's working with 15, 16 organisations now. He's got a team of, I think he said 12 people, 12, 13 people. I, I need to be thinking not just in terms of this piece of work, I need to be thinking about the next piece of work and the pieces of work that are going to come over the, the next few years and see all of the interactions that you have with colleagues, with clients, with suppliers as assets that you're building up that will add value to your business in due course. Welcome to De-Stress Your Business, the podcast where we show you how to get incredible results in your business without constant stress. I'm Alexis Kingsbury, a serial entrepreneur and founder at Air Manual. Now today, we're going to be diving into a common challenge for service businesses particularly, which is how do you build a business that doesn't solely rely on you? Because it's a common challenge in industries like consulting, coaching, and other high-touch or bespoke service businesses where the business is often synonymous with the individual running it. And so there's a challenge there around how do you scale and grow when your personal involvement is so high? So to explore this, we're joined by Tony Lockwood, who's the founder of the Transformation Leaders uh, Hub, which is TLH, where he works with businesses that deliver uh, change and transformation projects to their clients with this high-touch uh, service model. Now, he's got tons of experience from his own work as a consultant, uh, but also working with others via the TLH and as host of the Transformation Leaders podcast. So in this episode, we're going to explore how to deliver complex, high-touch, high-variation work at scale, and we'll delve into specific strategies to avoid going radio silent when you're swamped with client work, uh, how to manage high customer density, that's when you've got a small number of big clients, and we'll go into the essential activities that you need to be doing to scale a consultancy or other high-touch service business. So there we go. Tony, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. That was a very interesting introduction. Thank you very much. Well, let's start a bit with your story, because I've purposefully held back from uh, sharing much about that. Um, so I particularly want to uh, explore your background, but also how the COVID-19 pandemic led to the creation of the Transformation Leaders Hub uh, and how that reflects kind of your journey uh, in consultancy as well. No, absolutely. So a potted history, uh, started in banking, um, got very involved in a very large transformation program. Um, we brought McKinsey's in uh, to help us to devise the new bank um for the new millennium so this was in the 90s um and i got involved in that that program and upon completion of that program i moved back into steady state banking and realized within six months i enjoyed change and transformation more than banking so i moved into the world of consulting and uh, i've been in it for what probably like the last 28 years now and um, working in part independently sometimes with uh, the bigger consultancy businesses, um, often with very niche 
um, um, scale up businesses. Um, and I've launched and um, built up two or three on my own. So um, got that experience of helping organizations change and transform large organizations, help um, small businesses scale, you know, fast, uh, you know, the fast uh, growth businesses scale very quickly. Um, and, and now helping people to build consultancy businesses primarily, um, as well as continuing to deliver to the larger scale companies in and around sort of large scale change and transformation programs. Fantastic. And, and I know that the, particularly the pandemic kind of led to a bit of a realization for you, which, which led to you setting up the TLH. Can you kind of talk us through what was, what was go, where were you at then in the, in the, yes. in the, uh, in the lead up to that? So, um, this time, what, four years ago, quite healthy yeah. business, consulting business, multiple clients on the go, multiple projects on the go. Uh, lo and behold, you know, six to eight weeks later, when we when we got to the mid to late March 2020, all of the projects um, came to an abrupt halt uh, because COVID hit, and uh, you know, organisations went back into survival mode primarily, mm. uh, and the projects I was involved with, and the team we were involved with at the time, were were things that were naturally shelved, and um, so I went from healthy profits and, and healthy revenues to no revenues almost overnight um, and um, after sort of coming up with the old moment um, uh, you know we we started to look at what what had what had, what had resulted in as winning business um, over the last 20 years and and after coming coming back from our one hour walk in the country that we were allowed at the time I sat down and, and mapped out on an a3 paper all the clients I'd worked with and then overlaid them with how those clients, how I got those clients. And mm. unsurprisingly, 96%, I think, 95, 96% of them had come out of the network. So I thought, well, if that, if that happened then, it will continue to happen. How can I expand that network? So I went into looking into the internet. Is there a network that I could work with that were in the space that I was in? And there's a few out there that weren't really hitting what I wanted to do. Um, so I decided that I'd create one. Uh, and the premise is that if you work in change and transformation or if you work in consultancy, typically, you're, irrespective of whether you are an employee, whether you're a freelance, whether you're an interim, whether you're not you're working in, as, a, as a consultant, you work from project to project. And by, uh, at the time when you get into a project, what you want to do is build a team around you with people you know, like, and trust so that you've got a better opportunity of success. So the whole concept around Transformation Leaders Hub was to bring people together to help them to form those new relationships, get them to know each other, and then it was up to them to see whether they like each other and ultimately trust each other for them to create opportunities for each other. And um, we, we, we went into a soft launch in September 2020 and formally launched early 21. Um, so we're, we're, we're just we're just coming up to our three-year anniversary and uh, it continues to grow both in the UK in English-speaking territories really. So we've got members over in the States, Australia, New Zealand, Canada um, um, and probably about 60% in the UK. Fantastic. And and so you've had a real um, 
insight really into that kind of industry, given both your own experience and um, both in the good days before COVID hit and then during that uh, very tough period and then, as I say, and, and through your network. How have you seen the consultancy industry um, and that kind of service uh, type business um, uh, sort of model evolve and um, especially for the, for those businesses that are trying to build and not solely depend on the founder? Yeah, I, I think that there's... The consulting landscape is vast and continues to grow um, as organisations are needing to change to adapt to new market conditions, economic downturns, upturns, the digitalization, all the elements around AI, change is ever, is, is ever present. Um, and the need for organisations to bring in external support Mm-hmm. Is 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 increasing? Uh, I saw a, a, a stat um, late last year that was forecasting the next three years in the management consulting um, industry in Europe was ex- was expected to rise by something like twenty five, twenty six percent year on year, uh, which is which is just amazing. Um, there are organisations out there that will follow the mindset of um, no one ever got sacked for buying IBM. And we'll always go with the uh, with the uh, the bigger boys and 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 the, and the recognised names, but there's a lot of organisations out there now that are saying, actually, what I want is someone that I can trust, that I can get build a relationship with, that have got that skill set that I need in a very niche area. So mm-hmm. rather than being generalist, to really focus in and become specialist, and, and that's where I see opportunities for the smaller, more nimble niche players in that consultancy marketplace. And, and certainly for those consultancies that I'm working with now um, and, uh, and individuals I'm working with now that are looking to grow um, a consultancy business, the focus is on let's really get clear about the niche that you're operating within. Let's get clear about the offer that you're going to make to that, um, uh, that, that niche and let's start to identify the pain points that you can help overcome and let's talk about those um, so you can really become the expert or the go-to person in a, partic- in a particular niche with a particular pain point. And once you've got that relationship off the back of that, you can then start to widen your approach and offer the, right, the wider experiences and services that you, you, you can offer. But just trying to go in as a generalist, you know, we, we can help uh, organisations do all these different things, the, comp- the market is way too competitive. But if you can break it into small component parts, you can become well-known and, and win really decent-sized business relatively easily. Mm. Yeah, indeed. I really like that. And I think um, I particularly like your clarification there that once you're in with the client, then what you do might broaden. Um, because I think that... Uh, when people are often talking about being very niche or whatever, that, that can create a, a discomfort, particularly in a, a high-touch um, consulting-type uh, business, where it's like, but there's so many things I can do for a client. It feels ridiculous to limit myself to this really narrow um, offering. But I think to your point, it's it's not about that's the only thing you do do or can do. It's just that... Yeah. 
you need to have something that's the most valuable, uh, you know, the, the area in which you're the most unique, like uh, ideal person for and use that to get into places. And then when they see that you can help out a variety of things, and I've seen it so many times with my own consulting business and back when I worked as a consultant and also um, uh, I've helped my, my wife now set up her consulting business. And I've seen every time you start working with a client on one very specific niche project and then it just grows yeah. and it because to the point of ridiculousness, right? Where you're like, why are they getting me to do like their sales training when like, I'd specialize in this. And of course it's like, because you understand it better than anyone else in their team by that point, like, cause you've done enough yeah. of those projects and they trust you and you've got the bandwidth and so on. And so I really like that point around, particularly, I think, as you say, like as, as the years have gone by, like the importance to niche has increased and there's plenty of opportunities you say with the, with the consultancy uh, market growing. Um, one of the other things that you mentioned earlier in terms of uh, what's played a significant role for you in, in your career is that network. And it's why you set up the TLH. How, what does that look like? How can consultants like effectively leverage their networks to be able to, to scale and grow their businesses without being overwhelmed? One, I think, think about the network and think about people that you've worked with both clients and colleagues, and keep in touch with them. Um, because by de as I mentioned earlier, by definition, we are people that work on project to project. So the, and, a, and a project has a defined start and a defined finish. Um, so it's not a continual piece of work. You're working on a project, and once you finish the project, you're looking for the next one. In an ideal world, the client says, you've done a great job. Can you come and help me to do this? And that opens more doors. But what, what equally at the, t at the time, uh, for each project, you're working with groups of people. Some of those, there may be overlaps, often there's not. Um, and what I found in, in, in the last 28 years, 29 years, is that people that I've worked with over that period of time are moving into different projects. And sometimes I'm tapping them on the shoulder to say, can you come and help me because I've got this opportunity, I've got this need. Other times they're tapping me on the shoulder and saying, do you know anybody or can you help yeah. me to do this because I've got this this particular challenge or this particular need? And, and it's just having that mindset to say, yes, I'm, I'm here to do this piece of work, but whilst I'm doing this piece of work, I, I need to be thinking not just in terms of this piece of work, I need to be thinking about the next piece of work and the pieces yeah. of work that are going to come over the, the next few years. and and see all of the um, interactions that you have with colleagues, with clients, with suppliers as a, a assets that you're building up that will add value to your business in due course. Yeah, I, re I really like that because I think that it's something that I've seen is often done retrospectively and at great pain. You know, it's like, oh, things have been great and then you have a quieter time and so you start looking back through the Rolodex and going, oh, yeah, who is that guy that, you know, he was kind of half involved in that project that we did five years ago. And like, oh, I haven't yeah. got his email address or like, we didn't connect on LinkedIn at the time or, uh, you know, I've got their contact details, but haven't made any contact in the last five years. And it just feels all suboptimal. And I think 
that approach, as you say, like treating it as those assets that you're building up, both your network of your clients, your network of other consultants, suppliers, et cetera, that you've come across, I think is really powerful. Um, it makes me think of some of the sorts of challenges that come up when you're when you're trying to build a service-based business like, you know, like consultancy, where you've got challenges like, okay, but if I'm bringing, if I'm so heavily focused in terms of my value on the skills and knowledge and experience of the people, firstly, how can I bring in other people to grow the business if the thing I'm selling is me? But then secondly, the worry of, oh, and if I bring someone else in, is the risk that they like that person, and then as a result, they don't work with me in future. So there must be loads of other challenges that you've kind of observed and, and challenged uh, and tackled. So what are some of the, the big ones that come up, and uh, what are the ways in which you'd, we'd, you'd approach those? Yeah, I, I think in, the, um, in terms of that, issue around how can I scale a business when it's primarily me um, is, is a big challenge for, for, for everybody who starts starting out in a service business, whether it's a consultancy or, or whatever. Um, but my answer to that is that fundamentally, yes, you've got the knowledge, the skills, the experience that that organization or potential clients are looking for, but what you have to do is understand what that knowledge, oh. understand the process that you're going to take those clients through and, and document how you're going to do it because that then becomes your unique model. Yeah. So if you can, if you can work out how you take an organization or a client from A to B in a structured way and document that out, one, it becomes an asset of the business because you've got a formal process and you've got that formal IP. But if you can document it in the right way, you can then start to train other people to adopt your ways of working and your approach uh, within for, for future clients. Um, the second point that you raised were around how do I stop clients um, or how do I stop introducing people and then clients wanting to work with them rather than work with me. Um, I, I, I'm a little bit laissez-faire around that, really, because my, my approach and my, my belief is, is that people work with people they know, like, and trust. So if the client decides to go and want to work with somebody else, it's probably an indication that I've not worked with yeah. them in the, in the right way. So I need to learn from that and, and observe what, how I could have done things differently. So... You know, if a client if a client wants to work with somebody else, you've got to let them go, and you've got to let them do it. Because if you try to stop it, fundamentally the relationship's broken anyway. So, and that trust factor is broken. So, I, I tend to work in a way that says, "Okay, yeah, let's let's go and have a chat with the with the client. Let's go and understand, and with the other consultant, let's understand what's going on, yeah. and let's learn from it." And do it in a um, non-confrontational way, but with the intention of, well, how could I have worked better with you, Mr. Client or Mrs. Client, to avoid this happening so I can learn from it and take it into my other clients that I'm working with? Yeah, I, re I really like those as uh, as way of tackling that. I think the um, coming back to that point around creating your... Um, your asset, your IP, your structure, your approach for how you deliver 
that consulting, uh, the consulting support and the, the value that you do, I think is, is crucial and also relates to that second point as well, right? Because it's if, if something that someone's buying is not just you, it's the approach you've developed, then working with someone else that you happen to have introduced to get involved at a certain point, like it's like, well, yeah, they, they might be able to help, but it's this is the, the model that you're taking them through. And I think that that's yeah. um, really powerful. Um, and it makes it, I think it, also, makes it a lot easier. Sorry, Alexis, it makes it a lot easier to demonstrate to the client that you are you can be trusted to move them from A to B because you, you're showing yeah. them the routes that it's taking that you're going to take them through. So it's not just trust me, I've been there, I've, I've done it before. Look at my CV. It's yeah, I've have, I've got all this experience. Mm. You can look at the CV. You can look at all these case studies. But fundamentally, this step by step way of working. You know, it, it doesn't need to be too detailed, but giving them that structure just gives builds confidence in your ability to deliver. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that. And I think it, it gives um, some clarity around how do you deliver complex, high touch, highly variable work at scale. And to some it, the, the quick answer, as you say, is like documented the process that you go through. I can imagine that for some people they go, oh, but, you know, there's so much that might vary. You know, I can't possibly, doc and I, I remember actually a conversation with an air manual client where they said, oh, you know, when we, when we work with the clients, there's nothing I can really document. It's so bespoke. It so much depends on the interaction with the client. What would be your answer to that? It, it would be sitting down with them and, and, and asking them to talk me through how they interact with that client. Because there will be some type of initial analysis. Um, so let's get clarity about what that analysis is, 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 is covering. Um, there will be then some type of development type of work. So how do you go about that development piece? And then there'll be a delivery piece. Um, so, so you can, you, irrespective of the client, irrespective of the, of the challenge, You'll do analysis, you'll do development, and you'll do implementation. Mm. So, and then you break it into let's look at the analysis. Have you got a structure around how you do that analysis? Yeah, okay. So it's it's a three point piece. So you're just breaking it into its component parts, and you know, let's make it really easy. Three stages of, of analysis, three stages of uh, of development, three stages of implementation. That's your nine stage process, mm. and it's pretty standard, isn't it? Um, yeah. and, and 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 when I've when I've had that conversation with people and 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 you know hear exactly what you've just said, well, everything's very bespoke. When you actually start to break it into those smaller elements, it makes much more yeah. sense to people. Yeah, and 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 actually allows them to get a much better conversation going with prospective clients mm. in the way that we were saying earlier. Yeah, agreed. And it, it also, because I've, um, in the conversation, that specific conversation that I had, uh, which was the, with the design consultancy business, I remember that um, even going through it and starting to document it, the clarity they then got around, actually, what are the questions that I need to ask early on in the project? Because so many times there'd been a question they hadn't asked, and it bites them later, right, where they suddenly go, wait, you didn't tell us that you had this system or that you'd engaged this other agency or whatever. And you go, oh, yeah, I maybe should have asked that early on. And I think, as you say, by breaking it down into 
at the high level are the three steps and within that the three and then within that what are the three questions you're asking as part of the analysis i think makes it um a, a very possible task to suddenly break that down and uh, and get to that point and it means that both for them delivering consultancy it becomes easier to do it becomes much more effectively in terms of uh, communicating it to the client as you say and it makes it possible that you can bring in other consultants to help right because that was always something that i was worried about when i first started my own consulting business uh now like 14 15 years ago um my concern was oh but i'll never be able to scale this because no one else has quite had the experiences that i have had and i've even worked with other consultancies consultants at a high level has like oh and i you know i don't feel like they could quite do the thing that i'm doing and of course once you know what was i missing i hadn't i hadn't niched enough i hadn't broken it down into a process that someone else could actually follow to get a predictable result and as a result um yeah uh, instead went down the software route instead of uh, creating yeah, consulting no. businesses but is that is is that 80 20 rule so 80% you'll be able to standardize, you'll be able to productize, you'll be able to put into a st standard process and you'll be able to get other people to do it. The 20% is where you add value and, and, and as, as an individual and where you differentiate yourself and be able to open up opportunities with new clients. Yeah. Um, and, but it's, it's having that ability to position yourself as a firm, not as an individual, that We've got a team of people that can deliver this. But actually, Mr. Client, you'll be dealing with me. I'll be, I'll be overlooking and overseeing this and making sure that my team deliver and I'll have absolutely take total responsibility for my team delivering. And that's the way that you start to move away from you being so, um, so person delivering mm -hmm. to getting a small team in place to deliver as the first stage of scale up. And then, you know, the, sec the, the second stage of scale, scale up is then putting a management team in place that can take you much more in terms of just being a figurehead for the consultancy business in that true partner type of role within a consultancy business or any, or any service business, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Nice. And one of the other challenges that I see, because uh, there we've covered the delivery, like delivering natural product, delivering the value. But one of the other challenges that I I remember as a uh, uh, when I was a consulting business, but I know from work with other consultants, is the struggle around essentially going radio silent when you're busy <laughs> with customer delivery. And I remember this kind of feast and famine cycle where you get super busy having to deliver this project that, you know, it was when you initially created the timeline, it was fine. And then they delayed and delayed on making the decision. And now everything needs de uh, delivering yesterday and so on. And so you're absolutely slammed. And then, of course, it means that you might have three months or more where you're not doing any of the um, the the networking, the outreach, the sales activity, the pipeline management and so on because you're so busy. And then, of course, you come to the end of the project and you go, oh. And now, now all the money I've yeah. just earned over this really exciting three-month, six-month period has now got to last me the next three to six months because the, often the lead times on consulting work and so high service, yeah. like high ticket price work is so long. So how can that be avoided? How can we avoid like completely going radio silent and not developing a pipeline? I think it is very much a mindset thing. It is having that starting off with the end in mind that's saying actually um 
I become a constraint to the growth of the business if, if I continue to work in that way. So I'm not going to be, I'm not prepared to work in that way. Um, and time boxing stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So one of the key, key um, um, elements that I talk to all of the, the people I'm working with is that have at least half an hour a day time boxed in your diary where you are doing marketing type of activities, lead generation activities, because the success of your business is only partly down to uh, successful delivery of the projects you're working on at the moment. Yeah, I say only partly um, because obviously it, it, you need to have, you need to be able to demonstrate that you've successfully delivered what you're saying you can do. Um, but it's in the main, it's it's dependent upon having an ongoing generation of leads and new 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 potential opportunities coming up. So to to avoid that feast and famine, you've got to be doing stuff on a regular basis. You've got to keep visible on a regular basis. And the only way to do that, in my experience, is to time box things. So um, I call it an hour of power. So every morning, nine, uh, eight till nine in my diary, hour of, hour of power, and I'm doing marketing activities. That could be putting a LinkedIn post on. It could be doing a video. It could be doing connecting to, to people, following up um, earlier conversations that are coming out of the CRM tool. It's all of that stuff, but I'm, I've set a time to do yeah. that. Um, and, and does it happen every day? You know, I would be lying to say that some some days I can't get round to it. But when I can't get round to it, I know that I've got to do it the following day. Oh. So I've got that mindset that says if I if I miss it once, I can't miss it twice. Um, which is which is is critical because it just keeps the plate spinning and it keeps you visible because the last thing you want to get into, and you touched on it earlier, you get pulled into a project. You go invisible to the world or to people that you've known for six months, twelve months, eighteen months in some cases, and then suddenly you're popping up when you when you want something and you you're talking to them and you just get they they just see you as well. You only want to talk. You only want to yeah. talk to me when you want something, and that's not what you that's that's not how you build a relationship. Yeah, agreed. I really like that, and it's something that I um <laughs> I sort of discovered with my own consulting business a long time ago, um, partly by accident, and um, started to see the, the power of it. But I really, really struggled to make sure that I was doing it on a regular basis, and particularly when I got busy. And I remember the only thing that worked to make me consistently do it, because I'm a more pathetic human being than yourself, Tony, is that I uh, got a virtual assistant and I booked a, a regular call with them and I wasn't doing it every day. I think I was doing it weekly. And so I'd have an hour in my diary with this virtual assistant. And their only job was to ask me a series of questions <laughs> to basically do the hour of power, right? To go, right. And, and it was literally as sort of simple as saying, right, who, um, what projects do you need to, uh, you know, bill and invoice? Because that was the other thing that like sometimes would fall down. And it's like, great. And it's like, yeah. um, what I often talk about is like working from the right hand side of the pipeline. So what needs to be like, what payments need to be changed? What needs to be invoiced? Um, any uh, project set up, etc. And then working back through like, 
okay, who need uh, who are the proposals that you need to be following up on? Yeah. Who's what opportunities have you got that you need to make sure you're doing proposal for? Who are the other people in your network that you need to follow up with? And it was incredible that even doing that, just one hour every week was enough to fill like to give me more consulting work than than I needed as a on my yeah. own consultant at the time. Um but it was the only way I could do it was getting that VA to have the call because otherwise I found it too easy to skip. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. Yeah. If you're as uh, uh, if you struggle with it as much as I do, there's an additional way of doing it. Um, but no, I, I mean, absolutely, you... it's what it's whatever you, whatever take it, whatever um, gives you the kick up the bum that you need. Just just utilize it and. Um, whether or not it's having it in your in your in your outlook as just something that's flashing up every morning. Are you doing this? Yeah. Or there's lots of tools out there these days that that can just give you a tap on the shoulder. And there's some stuff that you can you, tools out there that you can utilize to automate a lot of this as well. Right. So even when you are busy, you are still visible in the marketplace, and and that's the key yeah. to be, continue to be visible. Yeah, indeed. And I think, yeah, if I think about what I've then done since, yeah, putting in sort of processes in place that other more junior team members can make sure that they're still doing on a regular basis, as you say, like posting on social media, following up with contacts that I've met or whatever, like that can all be done on my behalf, right? And so I think, yeah, over the years, that's then what then worked for me. And I applied it both in consulting and the software business. I mean, you've worked with so many different businesses, consultants, like, can you give me an example of someone who's absolutely excelling at this? And what does that look like for their business? Yeah, there's a, excuse me. <coughs> there's a, um, a guy that I started working with, oh, probably about two years ago, two and a half years ago. And um, he'd, um, a little bit like what we were talking about earlier, he came to me um, with this, he got to a stage in his career um, where he was making good money, um, mm -hmm. but he realised that he had probably another 10 years to the point where he wanted to retire, um, and, and ideally probably shorter than that, or where we wanted to start to scale back, shall I say. Um, and... and he, he, he did accepted that actually just exchanging time for money wasn't sustainable for him. Um, so he wanted to to do something that was going to um, provide a real asset for him and his family moving forward. So we, we, we initially spent a little bit of time trying to get clarity upon what that consulting business would focus in on, what that niche should be, what that offer should be. And he struggled with that, to be yeah. fair, and lots of people do, because as, as we said earlier, he, he, his rucksack was full of experiences, different clients, different sectors, getting involved in, in lots of different things. But what we found and, and what we identified um, is real um, area of focus should be primarily because it was the thing that he really enjoyed doing, um, was was going in and helping to structure programs for success. Yeah. So not necessarily going in and delivering it. And these these were these were large scale technology driven programs. 
So going in, working alongside uh, a chief transformation, uh, uh, sorry, a chief, a chief information officer, a chief technology officer, in helping them to structure the programs of change in a, and set it up for success and then build the team and then leave. Nice. Um, and um, so, so we got clarity around that. We got clarity around the pain point that the that these CTOs and CIOs were, were experiencing and what it meant to them if, if, prog- if programs that they were sponsoring or leading were, were, were failing. Um, and we, we, we helped him to sit down and literally map out the market. Um, and when I say map out the market, it's like, who do you want to work with? Are you, are you, are you geographically based? Are you, um, um, are you, um, only focused up in, in, in 20 mile area from where you live or can you work globally? All that sort of stuff. And then start to map out the client organizations. We were clear about size of organization that we wanted to work with. We were clear about the type of person um, and the background of that person we wanted to work with. And having done that research over, it took about three months to go through that whole process. He had had a list of, from memory, about 175 organizations and named people within those organizations that he could start to approach. So then we put in in place a, a contact strategy reach uh, an outreach strategy um that was very soft it was it it was it wasn't in your face let's let let me come in and and talk to you and give us a job type of mentality it was very uh, value add mm. uh, provide some or ask some questions build the relationship up with them um uh, and what we found is by doing that way within uh, 6 months he'd won his first client um within Eight months, two or three other clients came on, and then he got to that point of, well, I need to build that team up, uh, and 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 um, the fact that we put all the hard work in up front to map out that process and the 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 step by step elements of of what he was offering, we were able to bring other people in. He would give them a little bit of training, a little bit of guidance, oversee them. But in terms of the, the, the day-to-day activities with the new clients, they were taking that, that, that opportunity on. Um, he was very selective in, in the types of people he brought in because he wanted them to, obviously needed them to um, buy into what he was trying to do and buy into his, his vision as well as his values. Um, so the relationships that were being formed with these new clients um, that they were they were instrumental in, in in helping him to build those relationships, and and as a result, um, I caught up with him just before Christmas. Um, he's working with fifteen, sixteen organisations now. He's got a team of, I think he said twelve people, twelve, thirteen people. Sees twenty twenty four as a, a, the next sort of real growth opportunity for him. Um, I think it, it, from memory, he was saying he was hoping to get up to nearer 30 people within the team Um, uh, and um, in terms of himself he's now very much focused upon uh, just positioning the business in Uh the right way and being the front front person for that for that business Um, but he's moved the model from 
And, you know, as we said earlier, him being the delivery mechanism to his team being the delivery mechanism. And he's now working globally. Fantastic. Yeah, that's that's really powerful. And and it I can see who um how through that approach he's got to a point that's addressed one of the other big problems in um uh this sort of this segment, this uh, this industry of whether consultancy, you know, high value, high touch service providing, which is often high customer density. You know, having relying yeah. heavily on one, two, three big customers that drive all of your revenue and the risk, as I've seen in my own businesses yes. and uh, others that I work with, like suddenly you find out that that key contact, that that um, uh, contact at that big company that you've done work with for years and years and years, and they absolutely love you over there, they're leaving or have, you know, yes. in very sadly in one occasion I had with a consulting project, um, the um, the client lead died suddenly, um, oh, wow. and you know it was horrible in terms of you know personal impact and so on, and um, really shook me and, and other members of the team. But then, of course, you roll it forward, then another few weeks, and I hadn't got you know that I hadn't got the same for that particular team and that particular department. I didn't have the relationships with the other people, and as a result, the project initially got paused because of of the death. Um, but then, you know, not only did that project not get started again, but I didn't have the relationships in there. And, and so that didn't continue. And I think partly because of how I felt personally about um, everything that had gone on. And I also uh, didn't proactively uh, do much there, but it's like, that's huge risk. And I was fortunate that at that that's... point I'd got other customers. And so revenue wise, it wasn't a concern. But it could have been, and I've definitely had other experiences where the client has left or or whatever, and actually it's been a much bigger impact. So, I mean, talking about high customer density, where you've got that risk of having one, two, three, four um, customers that make up all your revenue, what's your advice around that? Like, is is it just as simple as yeah, it takes time? You got to build big, get to a team of 12, and therefore it's not an issue? Or, or are there th other things that people can do to, to reduce that risk and reduce the stress that it can create in their business? Again, I think start with the end in mind. Uh, if, if you are prepared to accept the risk, understand what that risk is and, 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 and look to mitigate it as much as possible. And one way of doing that is, is very much about um, working inside of an organization so you might break into an organization with with uh, through one person uh, but start to build mm -hmm. relationships up with the other senior leadership people within that organization as soon as you possibly can um so that if in the event that um someone unfortunately leaves your sponsor unfortunately leaves then you're not high and dry you, you have got relationships in place because you know we, we've said it so many times um, people buy from people who they know, like, and trust, and, and it's all relationship-led in the main. It's certainly within the sort of um, um, within the sort of um, size of organisations that we will typically be talking about. Um, but set, but secondly, um, you know, if you want to scale, and and if you if if that's your ambition, and, and ultimately. You want to get to a stage where you, there is something that 
people could potentially buy, you can turn that asset into into some sort of wealth, then accepting and understanding what 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 would actually drive the value of that bit of your business. Um, it is, as as we've said so many times, having a diverse um, range of clients, um, having a team of people in place that can do the delivery, having a management structure in place, having a machine that's generating the leads, et cetera, et cetera. Put all of those things in place and the value of your company is significantly higher than it's yeah. ever going to be with, with, without some of those things in place. But fundamentally, um, having that range of organizations that you call clients and having those retained relationships in place, that's where the value is in a lot of these organ- in a lot of these businesses, these consulting or, or, or service uh, service uh, focused businesses. Yeah, great points. Really, really like that. So um, as we kind of move to a close, I want to zoom out for my last couple of questions. So the, the first is we've talked about a variety of processes, activities, things that need to be in place for a consultancy that's looking to, to scale and grow and make sure that it doesn't hit a load of the uh, kind of icebergs that we've been talking about as we go along. If you were to zoom right out and say, let's say that uh, you've got a consultancy uh, uh, in, business owner in front of us, what are the uh, activities that you'd say, I want to see that you've got these things in place, ideally like documented, clear, being carried out weekly or whatever, the daily, whatever the structure is, what are the things that you would expect to see if, if they're going to be successful in scaling and growing? I think it all depends upon where they are in the cycle. Um, so, uh-huh. you know, um, I, I practice what I preach in terms of uh, the, the approach I take with with um, individuals that are looking to build and scale a consulting business. So I've got a four-stage model. First stage, nine-to-day momentum, which is all about um, building out the mindset, getting clarity about your one thing, building out the, the, the business plan at a high level in terms of understanding what you're trying to achieve that end in mind getting that machine going in terms of lead generation and, and building your your social um, uh, image and, and, and positioning yourself in, in, in the right way once you've gone through that then we move into the sort of second stage which is around the accelerator piece uh-huh. um, and again starts off with mindset but it starts to look at that what's your growth model how are you going to identify your team and and do you want to use associates or are you looking to bring people in on a permanent basis getting clarity around the kpis um, and those kpis primarily at this stage still very much around lead generation conversion ratios and meetings discussions with 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 potential clients proposals um, and 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 um, you know, winning of business and then delivering business um, and, and understanding how long that takes and what investment you prepare to put into to, to, to scale that. Um, but then also continuing to get to a stage where you're bringing people in that can take away the grunge work that you've got to do when you're starting a business where you are a jack of all trades. You know, focus upon the things where you can add real value and bring other people in um, that can help you to give you the freedom to do more of the stuff that you can add value on, um, and 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 
by doing that and allowing yourself to step back from the day-to-day activities of everything in the business, some people find that a real challenge. Um, but it, it's absolutely critical because without it, you can't build that infrastructure that you need and the foundations that you need oh. on which to, to really scale a business. And then we move into a, an optimized uh, period and then a leverage period. Um, so I think there's a depends where you are in the cycle um, in terms of the key the key metrics, but fundamentally whether you're new or whether you you know mid sized consulting business or or service business, getting those real clarity around those key measurements on leads, on discussions, on proposals, on sales, on delivery, on on, on cash, etc. The same really in in, in every business. Um, you know, get focused upon those sort of things. Everything else starts to take care of itself. Yeah, and I think what what strikes me is how, in I think perhaps even more so in consultancy type businesses, the business owner is more likely to love the consultingy bit of it, not the admin, no. the sales, the marketing, and so on. Like that's often true for a lot of businesses but even more so where you're fundamentally creating a business around this kind of high touch project based service that you're providing. And so I think, as you say, making sure you've got those things in place. And as we talked about earlier on uh, in this interview about making sure you've got that regular thing happening, even when you're busy so that you're continuing to generate your pipeline and and build that uh, over time. I think it's really strong. And as you say, making clear, making sure that you're, um, uh, you've got the end in mind when you're when you're doing that is really powerful. Um, it, to draw us to a close, then for you know particularly for for those people listening who are consultant <laughs> service based businesses, businesses, what's the key piece of advice or key takeaway that you'd like someone to take away from this this episode in terms of helping them build a business that doesn't depend solely on them? Get clarity about your one thing. What are you? What do you want to really focus in on? What are this? What is the thing that you can add real value to a client or to a customer? Um, and position yourself as the go-to person um, in that field in that niche. Um, I think if you can become a specialist and become the specialist in a particular sector, um, is the way to success. There's there's so many generalists out there. Um, and the analogy I use all the time, if if you get knocked over or if you if you have a heart attack, you don't want a generalist looking after you. You want a specialist in heart in, in, in heart. So if you if you get knocked over, you want a specialist in, you know, whatever injury you've got looking after you. It's the same with clients, organizations. They want specialists, they don't want generalists. Um, so get real clarity about your one thing, about your niche and then build everything around it. And once you've got in and you've built the relationship mm. with the client, then you can bring your rucksack out with all the other experiences and all the, all the other ways that you can help them. Nice. Love that. Thank you so much. And I highly recommend uh, Tony's uh, website, uh, the transformationleadershub.com, where it's got loads of information about his community and the benefits of that. I highly recommend uh, the Transformation Leaders podcast as well. Uh, Tony, any other resources, ways that you'd hi- uh, recommend people connect with you to learn more? Um, no, I think those those are the two main ones. Um, I've I've just started doing some um, 
TikTok videos on uh, oh, wow. consultancy. Okay, cool. So yeah. I think that's at Tony Lockwood eight T L H um, is 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 the um, um, the angle in in um, on TikTok. Uh, but that literally has only happened um, in the last few days. So I think I'm on the sixth cool. or seventh video at the moment. Little sort of twenty second tidbits, really. Yeah, nice. Yeah, well, th this becomes a, a hot tip for people to go and check out that new content as it uh, as Tony grows that channel. So that's fantastic. Well, thanks again, Tony. It's been really, really good. And for everyone listening, like if you're a service business that's looking to to grow faster while enjoying the journey, uh, we've talked about loads of um, uh, insights to help you to do that. Um, I'm also conscious that at Air Manual, we've de we recently developed a scorecard to help you find out what's holding you back and particularly what net bottlenecks you need to focus on. As Tony talked about earlier, it kind of depends on what stage of business you're at as to what you need in place. And so if you take the scorecard, you get a tailored report that will show you where your bottleneck is and uh, some tips on how to remove it. It takes just five minutes to answer the questions and you can take that scorecard at airmanual.link forward slash scorecard. Uh, but otherwise, one final thing before you go, if you found the content today valuable, hit like, subscribe, do the things that you know that I want you to do. Please uh, share it on social media, tag us in, so that we know that we're not just shouting out into the ether, uh, that people are actually getting value and share a key takeaway or something that's been useful or share it with someone else that you know is trying to grow their uh, consulting business and, and needs to hear some of the, the tips that you've uh, got from this episode. Uh, it allows us to help more people and ultimately uh, helps the, uh, the podcast as well. So I'd be hugely grateful. But otherwise, uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Tony, for joining me today. Uh, and otherwise, until next time, have fun.